When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Building Better Business podcast is the best place to learn how to take your business to the next level. It's no longer enough to earn good profits. You need to develop a network of connections as well as use all types of marketing to your advantage that will put you over the edge. Hosted by me, Steve Eschbach, a financial executive with decades of experience in dealing with businesses and business people, we'll learn how this all comes together. Join me and my expert guests as we delve into the many facets of owning the business and how to become a good, caring business owner. Listen how making a difference in your community can attract all sorts of clientele, which in turn will build you a better business. Greetings of the day, my fellow listeners, and welcome to another edition of Building Better Businesses. I am your host, Steve Eschbach. I have been doing this now for about a half a year, and I am delighted to have you join us to learn some more insights on how to build a better business. Uh, I am also the owner of Transworld Business Advisors. I am one of seven uh, Chicagoland owners of Transworld. We are the largest business brokerage in the world, and we are also the fastest growing business brokerage in the world. We work with business owners and assist them confidentially selling their businesses and matching up with qualified buyers. We also are involved in franchise sales. So anyone looking to buy a franchise, we'd be happy to work with them, consult with them accordingly. And we also do franchise development. So if you have a business model that wants to expand via the franchise model, we have the expertise to assist you. But today I'm excited to have a, uh, a guest. Her name is Tina Clements. She is currently the vice president of RPC, the retail performance company. And she has quite a varied background. And I'm also delighted to know that she's an author a keynote speaker, a contributor to entrepreneur.com. And she is going to talk about a subject here that we haven't had an opportunity to talk about, which is customer-centric transformation. And we'll get into that in a minute. So first of all, Tina, thank you so much for joining me. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Steve. It's an honor. I'm excited. Ah, Definitely. So tell me a little bit about your role at RPC, Retail Performance Company, LLC. I am the leader of the U.S. office. There are 10 RPC offices in the world. Our headquarters is in Munich, and we launched in 2013, I believe, with 11 people with the company, and now we are close to 400, again, worldwide. And our company is a 50-50 joint venture with the BMW Group, so half owned by BMW, and the other half is owned by a small consultancy, also out of Munich, called H&Z. And we are, by definition, a consultancy, my friend. However, as consultancies are a dime a dozen, as, as they say, our niche is that, yes, we are consultancies and our job is to diagnose and understand what your challenges are. My job, most specifically, right? But what makes us unique and different is our expertise in training, coaching, HR services, and data analytics to be able to support, as you said, customer centricity. So my role is uh, to support and lead the U.S. office of RPC. And we're going to get more into that in a bit. So you've had a uh, 
Very interesting career path. As you mentioned, your current firm is partnering with BMW, but you actually had to stay at BMW, did you not? I did indeed. Yes. I started there, wow, in 2003 and held a few different roles. The I was the mini training manager for a few years, which means I led the learning and development and, and leadership training for the dealerships across the across the country. I was the BMW sales training manager, so focused on BMW sales. And the role that probably set me up for success within the RPC organization is leading the performance management for the entire BMW North America organization, which was the, at the time, the most challenging and the most rewarding role because I had never swum in the HR world until that time. And my advice to anyone listening, if you can do a stint in HR for six months, I highly recommend it. You will loathe it and you will love it all at the same time. But the the people lessons were just extraordinary at that time. Well, now you're going to make me want to jump into the HR arena. So uh, thank you for that encouragement. But before we get into where you are today and uh, where you plan to go going forward, let's rewind the videotape a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about you, your childhood, your upbringing, your parental influence, any other family people that had some influence on where you are today and how many different stops you took along the way. I know that's a long-winded question, but it gives <laughs> you an opportunity to tell us how your formative years have established you as a professional with expertise as you have today. The I'll be honest, it's a question I've never been asked. It's a fantastic question. My upbringing was incredibly simple. We didn't have much. I grew up with a younger brother in um, Westchester, New York, which is not upstate New York, but it's not it's not the city. It's this this middle area. It's country esque, and uh, and again, really not a lot. With parents who got married at twenty five and were together until my dad's passing. So very, I would say, cliche, wonderful. Mom didn't work at first, and then she went back to work. So I, I just simple, and family was first, quite frankly. Uh, my favorite story about my father was when I was, I'm going to say 10, we weren't allowed to, to swim to the dock at the local lake in our house without a parent at that age. And he promised me that he would, he would come after work and swim with me and, and the whole bit. And it was getting late and the lake was closing at six or whatever time. And I was sitting there going, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. And next thing you know, it's almost six. And I see my father running, running down a hill to join me. And he's like, I'm coming, I'm coming. I got, so he clearly prioritized us, but couldn't get out. And that's how we grew up. Now, did that shift over time based on, what the consequences and the rewards that I was looking for in life as uh, depending on the organization for whom I work, absolutely. However, that family first focus is always within and always a driving force as I personally, air quote, climb the ladder and, and all of that. But for then from there, of course, the influential people in my life were the leaders in my life. Some were good and some were absolutely not were absolutely the opposite, which I am thankful for because you get to pick and choose when you have your leaders and you take from them role model-esque qualities. I do want to be like this person and I absolutely do not want to be like this person. So I would say that that smattering of humans really helped me pick and choose the leader that I hopefully have become 
in my in a positive role model in, in this in this example. But all of that is, I really think the the path that I took. Wow, what a good question, Steve. I'm sure when we get off this call, I'll pontificate a little bit well, more. A, the reason why I ask this question is because many of us, when we're younger, we have aspirations for our career. And I was, uh, and by the way, Westchester is just north of the Bronx. For those of you who, are, who know New York City, anything outside of New York City, according to the people who live in the Big Apple, is foreign country. Even yes. Westchester, I was uh-huh. born and raised on Long Island. New Yorkers, dead set Big Apple people, definitely consider you a foreigner. But uh, but it's not the Catskill Mountains either. So Correct. it's just kind of centric to New York, just a little bit north. But the reason why I asked that question is because many of us, like me, I wanted to be a major league baseball player. Did I ever do that? No. I went to school, got a counting degree, and then I did a number of other things. So when you were young, going to school, what were your interests? I'm sure it was an employee, HR. What was it back then and what did it eventually evolve to and how did that happen? That was the reason for my question. And it's a, again, it's a great question and I'm clearly not the prima ballerina that I had wanted to be. So when I was super young, I wanted to be a dancer and a scientist and a teacher. Those three, they all, I would jump around with those three opportunities. Um, I will tell you also, my mom is Italian and our Italian side of the family lived in the Bronx and Yankas. And I was, I grew up in Yonkers almost as much as we grew up in Westchester. So Steve, if you hit us, you know, if I start talking like this too, it just, you know, this is the real us. This is how we talk. And I do appreciate your Westchester. <laughs> yeah, Westchester is a foreign country to anyone from Yonkers or, or New York. But so that is for sure. I, I wanted to do that. I will say this is where the parental influences come from. When I was graduating from high school, I still didn't know what, 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 what now, what do I become? What do I do? And it was my mother, thank God, who said, just go to school for communications. You love an audience. You're good on state, all the things. She's like, just do that. And I was like, okay, ma. And, and I don't know any senior in high school who should know who they want to be. I'm still, like you said earlier, when you and I were talking offline, we are life learners. We will, humans should always be striving to grow and stretch and be better and learn. And I, and I don't know if this is where, what I am supposed to be. Right. But certainly when I was a senior in high school, I had no clue and no senior should really, really know, but thank God she said, do that. And then I did go to school for communications that ultimately drove me into the path that I took. But yes, if I could be wearing point shoes right now on stage somewhere that would have been, or tap shoes. Yeah. That, that would have (laughs) the direction that I would have went. So there are two things that you mentioned in that commentary. Number one is you had an aspiration to lean toward leaders. Okay. So I sensed that early on. And even your mother having the influence that she did, I think I would characterize her as a quasi leader back then when you were growing up. But the mm-hmm. other thing you mentioned too is communication. So you need to be a good leader and you need to be an effective communicator. We're going to get into the customer centric transformation in a moment, which also is going to deal with effective communications. But uh, it seems like you always wanted to aspire to kind of hanging on to leaders and working with them and trying to effectively communicate that accordingly. Is that is that kind of what is that correct? It's absolutely correct. I didn't know it at the time, but I needed to be in the people business. I didn't know what that meant. And I was living in a time where people leadership was not yet a thing and being employee centric or customer centric was not a thing. 
it was just go go for communications. So once I, as I grew and learned around how companies actually become successful and what drives success from human interaction and supporting talent, et cetera, then I was able to shift and grow. But you're 100% accurate. It was always a people-based focus. I just didn't know that what that was at the time. So tell me a little bit of how you uh, went after you graduated from college and then you wound up at BMW. There were some steps in between there. How did it eventually evolve to HR and then to customer-centric transformation? I really want to hear in your words with specific examples on what you mean about that, because there's nothing more important to a business owner than being able to relate to customers and being able to um, uh, employ the right people. I mean, that fit is so critically important for success. And again, I gave you another long-winded question to answer, but <laughs> everything there, everything there focuses on your expertise and your insights. Mm-hmm. Well, the journey was certainly circuitous. There's no question about it. And it started, I had a summer job in between my junior and senior years uh, in Westchester at a local radio station. And as soon as I graduated, I had no compass when I graduated. I still did not have the plan. And looking back, it's so interesting, the person that I have become from the person I was at that time. So I went, the day I got home, I put on a jacket, but yet had on jean shorts that were, now this was in the, when was this? This was early nineties. So they were, they were rolled up and I thought I looked professional and looking back, oh my, I cannot believe they gave me the job. So I went back to the radio station, knocked on the door, it was a Saturday. And the sales manager happened to be there. And I went, can you give me a job? And he said, sure, come in. And he made up a job. And that was my first job. So it was just, it was luck and a little bit of grit and gumption. And there it was. And he had me do trafficking, which is sales trafficking, which that means I was basically, I was um, organizing the commercials for the radio station. And then they decided to put me on air and have me do the traffic in the morning. And if you knew me, you would know I have no sense of direction. So it was the worst traffic report. Don't, oh my, the worst. So I apologize 30 years ago to anyone who's still lost in the Bronx right now, and they shouldn't be. But from there, I worked, I got a job at HBO in, in, in a more or less a clerical opportunity, but that's where I started to build relationships and network. And somebody tapped me and said, you know, you'd make a fabulous facilitator. And I said, what does that mean? What is what what is a facility? I don't know what that means. I had no idea that training and learning and development was a thing for adults. No idea. So I was lucky. I had this uh, young leader who said, "I'm going to help you interview." And really, what it is, it's um, it's training the dealers, so Cablevision, your Comcast, on why HBO is an ideal choice. And then there was some sales training and some leadership training, etc. So I present, I got the job. And the next thing you know, I had a few years of what I call triage training. So you'd go into a a cable vision dealer dealer or or, or studio and you would grab as many outbound sales reps that you could and you'd bring them into a room and you'd facilitate, facilitate until the manager on duty would come in and go, Tina, I need three people back, but I'll give you one person. And it was just this seven hours of constant trying to facilitate as best you can to get people to learn and retain and it was it was really the 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 grounder for me to fall in love with the art of facilitation and understand the nuances and how adult learn adults learn 
And I was going to school myself too and taking classes and I was just eating it up. And from there I went to Volkswagen and I couldn't spell carburetor or torque. And quite frankly, kill, still can't that, that well, I'll be honest with you. But they, God bless them, gave me a role for their East Coast trainer. And I had 80 dealerships. So it was similar to HBO. And so I would facilitate and learn. And I was still taking classes and teaching a lot of the same material. So I was really honing my skill there, but also leading the other facilitators as they were leading me. So not only was I was I enhancing my facilitation skills and my content development skills, I was also leading teams and other people, and sometimes even working with the dealerships themselves around and consulting. We didn't call it consulting at the time. We were just supporting and doing our job. And then from there, oh my goodness, Steve. So then this is, this is when you realize how old you are when you walk down memory lane like this, right? Volkswagen went to a small boutique company called Automatic Education, and I was the VP of operations on the East Coast, very small company, sold, but also developed, wrote, facilitated all the things, then went to BMW. And RPC came a calling in 2013 and said, hey, we're starting this new company. Do you want to lead it? And as the question mark was still hanging in the air, I went, yes, yes, of course I do. And that was probably the biggest, the, the most terrifying, the hardest, and the biggest life lesson that I had because I failed when I first took that job. Now, I had failed before, but I had never failed so, so emotionally before. And during the beginning of setting up the company, so it's a startup all by myself here in the States, not a lot of guidance. I, I realized that I didn't know what I was doing. And I realized that I was too stupid to run a company. And I realized and really believed that I was the wrong person for the job. And so for a couple of weeks, I swam in that and was really good at the blame game. Well, the failure of this company will be everybody else's fault. And it was through a little luck and good leadership from my my boss's part and great choices that I made that I figured out later that I was able to shift it, shift my perspective, bring in support, and then become super successful within three years. And I bring that last part of the entire journey up because I truly believe that failure on one's journey is what defines your success. And you're smiling, so I know that you agree (laughs) with this 100%. I agree with you with with one exception, all right? So I've been around uh, maybe a few years longer than you have, and I no longer make mistakes, okay? Now, you're going to see, you might say I'm conceited and arrogant, but I continuously experience these learning experiences, if you will. Mm -hmm. I don't call them mistakes anymore, but I call them learning experiences. But going back to your commentary, Tina, and it's quite interesting because it sounds like you were constantly put in a dynamic environment. And I don't think you, you shot from the hip, meaning that you didn't react. I think what you did is you absorbed, you listened, and you responded based on what was going around you, as opposed to you just kind of willy-nilly coming up with some kind of idea to get the whole thing going. For someone to come back at you more than once and say, hey, I think you're going to be a great facilitator, or I think you're going to be a great person to lead through this group. They understand you're going to have some challenges. You'll overcome the challenges. That is where I think your success came from. And you were not afraid to encounter difficult circumstances 
and really grasp those challenges and succeed. That's where I think your success came from. You may describe that you were the, you know, and I, I don't want, these were your words. I mean, you weren't stupid. You were smart because you listened, you observed, and you responded, and then you were able to lead. I think that's what you're saying. You said it a different way, but that's what I heard. Right. I, I think you hear things a little differently than what, what, what people say. It's amazing, isn't it? What your own belief system can, how it can debilitate you and how it can, it can create the obstacle and block for yourself and how clearly some people thought that I had some talent or they would not have offered me the role and hand selected me. But that was irrelevant at that time in life. So it's a, that's a big pickup, Steve. There's no question about it. Yeah, I clearly see that uh, you were able to respond. And I think that's where the people who put their um, confidence in you saw that early on, where you might have thinking you were sinking, but you were actually swimming amazingly well. So that was good. We don't have time, much, much time, but I want to cover two things at least. Mm -hmm. before we go. One is your comment that you need six months at HR because you will learn to learn, loathe it and love it. Can you tell me briefly by example what you mean by that? So you won't learn to loathe it and, and, love, and love it. My assumption is that you will ultimately loathe it and love it. So what I mean by that is working within the human resources arena is a thankless job. It really is in any capacity. Compensation, benefits. In my world, it was performance management. And it is all based in emotion. And, and if anyone tells you that there is no emotion in business, then they've never been in business before. And so the majority of my job was when I was there, I would be at my desk. You'd carve out your day, what it looks like. I learned quickly to, to carve in definite chunks of free time because inevitably somebody would come over and go, Tina, do you have five minutes? And those five minutes were not to bring me into a conference room and say, Tina, I just wanted you to know I'm really happy. Everything's great. Everybody's doing a great job. Have a nice day. That never happened. What did happen was, here's what's wrong. Here's um, how I am being failed. Here is, and there was a lot of um, victim state validated. And again, and you can really assure them that that was, I get it, I get where it's coming from. But your responsibility within the human resources environment is to support, is to help to create an environment where people can thrive, but also help them when they make the choice to swim around in that victim mentality. And again, admittedly, I was there in 2013 when we started the company, so I can empathize. So you're constantly, when you're facilitating, you are using as much energy within one hour of your day that other people use in an eight hour day being in an office job. And that's really what it is. So you are depleted and that's the loathing. And I, that's probably way too strong of a word, but it's, it's so challenging and hard because it is emotionally draining. It is physically draining in a very different way than other areas of the business. And it is exceptional and you learn so much and it's so wonderfully beneficial and valuable because you are growing as a person, I would have never been able to be able to give feedback in such a performance-oriented way at this stage in my career if I did not have that human resources opportunity. I would never have known how the interworkings of an organization work regarding success planning and talent management. I mean, it really was a gift. Um, and I really think that RPC is successful today here in the United States because because of my HR background, 
not because I knew how the business ran and because I knew BMW, but because of the people oriented focus that the gift that I was given in that time. So that's why I say it is the benefit is there and you'll love it and you'll loathe it because it's really taxing, demanding and hard. Yeah, that experience, I think, uh, has molded you to where you are today. Real quick, and one last question, the customer-centric transformation. We all know that customer relationships are critical for successful business owners and businesses as a whole to succeed. What other specific um, examples can you give me of the customer-centric transformation that you and RPC are focusing in on with your clients? The what's interesting is just to get a client to be focused on their customer is sometimes paramount. And working with them from a consultative perspective usually means we're working with them from a coaching perspective, coaching and consulting, very different things, incredibly different tactics. And from coaching, it's the, hey, Mr. Client, you know your your role, you know your company, you know your business way better than I, you don't need help from that perspective. You got the processes down pat. You are just not acting with intention around actually trying to support your end user. Help me understand that. And then coaching means that you're getting a person to use their own data to want to change. So that's really, if you ask me what the majority of our work is with the majority of our customers, it's getting them to actually want to change or decide if they're in the wrong business. And we've worked with one client specifically, way too long of a story right now. It took him quite some time to get there. He was making money, but he hated every second of it. He just wasn't a people person, a people-oriented business owner. And that's okay. That's all right. Once he owned that fact, he was able to shift and move his business into a different direction. And he will ultimately be very successful. So I think that's the big takeaway. If I'm under, if I'm answering your, your question, it's that's where we really play when we're focusing on getting a business to focus on being customer-centric. Right. Sometimes that third-party uh, viewpoint is essential in, uh, yes. in helping them get further along. Unfortunately, 100%. we've run out of time, Tina. Is there anything, we talked about a lot, is there anything we may not have covered that you want to make sure we get across to our audience today? Well, since we just brought it up, I think that as leaders in business, we all need to wear different hats for our businesses to be successful. And knowing the role of consultant versus coach, versus mentor, versus friend, versus HR representative. All of those roles have very specific outputs and knowing when to wear each hat, I think really helps drive success. But you're right. There's a million different things I'd love to talk about with you. <laughs> well, you're going to come back because sure, I'm just beginning to do the second round of uh, podcast interviews because there's more that uh, we can talk about for sure. Last but not least, Tina, where can we go to find out more about you, either through your company or your own LinkedIn site or wherever you want them to go? How can we find out more about Tina? I am definitely swimming around on LinkedIn, but rpcamerica.com is where our company website lives. And I would love for all of you to check it out. Thanks so much, Tina. Hey, I appreciate you sharing your insights. Um, I can tell throughout the whole interview, you are passionate about what you do, which is critical to success. So thanks for doing that. I appreciate your insights. And audience, thank you so much for listening uh, to another edition of Building Better Businesses. And of course, we'll see you next time. Take care. The Building Better Business podcast is the best place to learn how to take your business to the next level. It's no longer enough to earn good profits. 
You need to develop a network of connections as well as use all types of marketing to your advantage that will put you over the edge. Hosted by me, Steve Eschbach, a financial executive with decades of experience in dealing with businesses and business people, we'll learn how this all comes together. Join me and my expert guests as we delve into the many facets of owning the business and how to become a good, caring business owner. Listen how making a difference in your community can attract all sorts of clientele, which in turn will build you a better business.